All right. All power. Welcome to the Evolution Show. I'm Johan Langgren. If you're new to the show, I'm a full-time investor and writer in sustainable tech. And on the Evolution Show, we bring inspiration and talk about smart energy solutions, electric transports, AI, and inspiration for sustainable living. And today, I have a really inspiring guest for you on the show, Anders Forslund, the CEO and founder of Heart Aerospace, one of the world's most talked about startups in the electric plane space, and a world leader when it comes to developing a fully electric commercial airplane. Anders Forslund shares the latest from Heart Aerospace about the 19-seater electric plane they are developing outside Gothenburg here in Sweden and why the plane already today attracts customers like United Airlines and several others for regional aviation. In part two of my conversation with Anders, we look closer at Hort Aerospace plane and learn more about how it will work, so you definitely want to stick around for that. I hope you like the content, and if you want to support the show, we really appreciate a thumbs up. And consider subscribing. As always, stay ahead of the curve, and stay electric. This is the Evolution Show. Welcome to the Evolution Show, Anders Forslund. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I realized that this is actually the third time you're on the show. Um, I think it was about two years ago uh, we met first time and uh, so much has happened for Heart Aerospace since then. Uh, I think just a year ago when the, we spoke last time, uh, Heart Aerospace, uh, you, I mean, since then Heart Aerospace has flown into the center of the radar, we could say, the electric plane radar uh, in, in the world, actually. Uh, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think it's really, that's the case because, for, for, but for people who don't know about Heart Aerospace and uh, what you do, uh, can you please tell us about Heart Aerospace and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So we're, we're Hard Aerospace. Uh, we're a Swedish startup uh, building electric planes. Um, we're currently working on an aircraft called the ES-19, which is a 19-passenger aircraft uh, that, that is targeting regional routes. And we started this, and it's driven entirely by batteries and electric motors. Uh, we started this company in 2018 when Norway announced that they wanted their, all of their domestic flights to be 100% electric by 2040, and we saw that there was Nobody really catering to that demand. Uh, we were part of Y Combinator in 2019, where we did our first fundraise. Uh, but I think since we last spoke, we've also closed what's you know our Series A round. So we had another investment round led by uh, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which we think is the most influential climate fund in the world, and also an investment in a large order of 200 aircraft uh, from United Airlines and Mesa Airlines in the United States. Yeah, I was actually going to talk about that. But uh, if we talk a little bit about yourself also, I mean, yeah. uh, you, you have a PhD in, the, in aerospace engineering. Correct. Uh, so, and you've told me before also, and we, when we talked last time, that you have a, obviously a great interest in, in aircraft and aviation since you were really a really young, young guy. Uh, but so, so I guess you have a, you know, a really great interest, obviously, into planes. Could you tell us a little bit about, about that? 
Wow, yeah, so, so it's funny because uh, we're at Seva Airport here in, in Gothenburg, Sweden, and, and it's actually about three minutes from where I grew up. So when I was growing up um, as a kid, this used to be a military airport, and uh, there used to be air shows and all this stuff, and I remember you know, seeing the, the Viggen planes, the old Swedish fighter jets, you know, flying very low over the soccer fields where, where we play, play, play football. And, and uh, yeah, uh, so it's, it was kind of funny that we'd end up here. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I was always drawn to, to planes, but also space has been something that I've been passionate about. And, and when electrification came and I was at MIT and 2014, when, when, when it was like exploding around drones and, uh, and electrification and uh, decided to spend my uh, wanting to spend my my working life my career working in this and uh, after sort of the big Norway Norwegian announcement we decided to set up shop actually very close by here in Sweden and uh, yeah so it's it's quite a journey actually uh, we started this company only about three years ago we were two employees uh, two full-time employees two years ago now we're, I think, you know, we're signing on new people every day. Where we're approaching seventy. It's it's ex exciting every day to be working on this project. Yeah, and uh, we can see behind you. You have actually uh, the first electric motor you have developed. Uh, yeah. And last time we spoke, you have just had it delivered. Now it's mounted until this. Yeah. Until until uh, this nacelle. Yeah, we have one there, and then we have one here that's for testing as well. So we have actually two two of them. <laughs> Uh, here and and we started testing this all, all actually about a year ago, and uh, now this is a separate rig that we use only for motor and and motor electronics testing. Um, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of testing to be, uh, that's being done and uh, to be done in the future as well. Yeah, and today I thought we could cover some of the latest milestones uh, Heart Aerospace have had so far and uh, the benefits obviously by going electric and why this is yeah and why this is uh, possible for regional regional flights today because i think most people they might think yeah electric uh, airplanes and aviation that's in the future far in the future but uh, you're talking uh, often about this that it's in terms of regional flights it's actually a business case already today so but but let's start with the, some of the basics for for people about electric planes because uh, either people, when they hear about electric planes, it's like, yeah, they love them. It, it's it's fantastic idea and they, it sounds great. Or they're a little bit more skeptic. Uh, you know, they think about electric planes, like how can they really f afford, uh, fly that far, you know, across the Atlantic? That, that's not possible. So why should we go after electric planes right now? So could you tell us a little bit how electric planes could make economic sense today already and why the battery range is sufficient? What's the business case? Yeah, so, so it's really important, and maybe I can tell this through the spectrum of our latest uh, uh, something that we're we're very very close to right now, which is the the United Airlines and Mesa business case. So, um, essentially, today in aviation, you're using the same type of propulsion, whether or not you want to fly from Europe to Australia, uh, which you can do in a single flight, or if you want to cross a fjord in Norway, or if you want to fly for, to a ski resort uh, from Denver in, in Colorado. And we think that this is a little bit odd, right? So, um, but actually, if we go back a few years, only to the, about the 1990s or 1980s, uh, there was a vast, um, vast infrastructure of 19-seater electric aircraft, uh, hundreds of them flying to hundreds of communities across the United States, uh, operated by companies like Mesa Airlines, which is the largest operator of 19-seaters in the world. Um, to actually, uh, to, to, you know, many, many of these short routes to small communities. 
what's happened since is due to the bad unit economics of putting a jet motor on a small plane that carries, uh, that flies a short route, uh, these uh, routes have been deemed uneconomical I and mean, you shut them down and a lot of people have lost access to the, to the air travel network. By switching uh, the most expensive part, the most maintenance-prone uh, part of an aircraft, which is the electric, mo uh, which is the turboprop, to an electric motor like the one we have here, that's essentially like one moving part. You're, you're reducing the 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 cost of acquisition of, of, of such a system by by about factor 20. You're reducing the maintenance cost of the motor uh, uh, by by about two orders of magnitude, and you're also getting um, beneficial unit economics uh, by replacing jet fuel with batteries. So all of a sudden you're in a place where you can start flying these routes. Now, maybe I didn't mention that, but the average route length uh, when, when Mesa operated these 19-seaters was about 172 uh, miles, which I think is about 270 kilometers. So they didn't stop flying these aircraft because they didn't fly far enough. They were not thinking, oh, well, if only my 19-seater could fly to Australia. They, were, they stopped flying these because of these bad unit, unit economics. So this creates a perfect early business case uh, for electric planes um, that we can deliver with the technology that we have at our disposal today. Obviously, this is not the end of the line for, uh, for uh, electric planes. Now, we, we believe, I think it's a, it's a long way off before we can fly across the Atlantic, but, uh, but to be able to do longer and longer routes as batteries improve, uh, uh, as they progress. But we don't have to wait. Like we have this perfect early application here and we can create flying that's, I think, first of all, 100% green, but also affordable and, and be more accessible, uh, integrated into the fabric of our society and especially sort of ex uh, uh, for people that are living uh, far away from major hubs. Uh, speaking of economics, uh, you mentioned that one of the, of obviously, uh, I guess, your biggest milestones so far with the contract uh, with um, United Airlines. So you, they've ordered 100 uh, of your planes and the Mesa Airlines uh, and other 100, airline, 100 air, airplanes. Uh, so can you tell us about this partnership and what does it mean for you going forward? No, I mean, it's, a, uh, it's obviously uh, pretty exciting. Uh, the... United States is the biggest market in the world, the biggest single market in the world uh, for aircraft. And uh, so Mesa Airlines was also, I think, has more operator knowledge of 19-seater aircraft than any other airline in the world. Uh, they are also, uh, and supported by United Airlines. So, so just to, 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 because I talked about these two airlines kind of inter interchangeably, United Airlines generally operates with subsidiaries when they're flying, or subsidiaries or regional partners when they're flying uh, the smaller aircraft, the regional routes. Uh, and, and Mesa Airlines is one of those partners that have, have, have flown a lot with United. So if you're flying United Express, for instance, one of the operators can be Mesa Airlines. Um, and United is seeing this as an investment into the future. They are, um, they are uh, w w one of these airlines that was very <coughs> early on declared that they want all, uh, all of their, uh, they want to be net zero by 2050. And they, they're not waiting around, which I think is really important. They are uh, investing in the technology now because now it's when it matters. It, it, might, it might seem, seem a little bit, um, you know, uh, it is actually like, like you're, you're, you know, t progress does not come automatically. And you're actually shifting 
you know, we don't know anything, or we don't we know very little about how the world will look in 2050, both in terms of technology, uh, climate, uh, and all of this other stuff. It's a very moving uh, target. It's a, it's a different world that we're heading into. Um, but we, knew, we know one thing, and that is, you know, a, a year saved uh, in the 2020s will be a year saved by 2050 as well. Because it's a progress does not catch up with itself automatically. So if we can get an aircraft in the air by 2026 instead of by 2035, it really matters for 2050. Uh, so, so, and I think they're, been, um, they've been really, uh, I think, uh, sort of visionary and forthcoming enough to, to realize this and realize that if we want to meet these goals by a few decades, uh, we have to start making these investments today because that's how we get the ball rolling. In the next episode, we're going to talk more about the, your planes, the ES, the Hart ES-19. Yeah. But one question that is obvious that people, I guess, will think about is the infrastructure surrounding the planes. Yeah. So how are you planning to recharge the planes? Uh, people may, may wonder when the plane is, you know, going to have a new takeoff uh, after, you know, a full charge or a full, long trip. Uh, how long will it take, for example, and how do you plan to, to, to solve this? Yeah, actually, we're from a technical standpoint, uh, our, our assessment is that, uh, you know, the technology is mostly already there. Uh, from a charging infrastructure, we already have chargers that can perform. So we set out an early sort of rule of thumb guideline of what we wanted to charge. And, and that's that say that for every two minutes in the air, it's going to be one minute of charge time. And since we're flying these short routes that are under an hour, they'll be under half an hour for charging. Uh, it looks like that is uh, actually not only realistic, but rather conservative. Uh, we already have the charger, you know, the, the people that are developing chargers for, for trucks like ABB already have the charging infrastructure uh, to meet and exceed these, these requirements significantly. Uh, the only issue then is becomes the batteries and making sure that the batteries uh, maintain uh, their integrity. You know, fast charging is something that can, that can uh, impair battery performance if batteries are being heated. So we're looking at some sort of, uh, or we're looking at charging that is uh, also conditioning, preconditioning the batteries and, and cooling the batteries uh, uh, while charging. So, yeah, well, that sounds great. So that I mean that solves the, the there is basically no problem uh, today if you're going to do yeah. to travel. No, I, I mean, the way you th there are obvious obvious uh, issues, but the issues are not necessarily technical. It's more about you know. Ro there's a rollout that's required here. There's airport personnel that needs to be trained. There's just a little bit of, uh, you know, these processes take time. And uh, so, I mean, as I mentioned, we had Avinur here, the, the big operator or the airport operator in, in, in Norway here to discuss exactly these matters. It's, it's sort of, it's not, not that it's uh, any, any new technology or anything that's substantially different from what's out there, but it's also, you know, rolling it out to airport, making sure that that, uh, that, that it uh, conforms to all the requirements for aviation and that, that also that you train the per ground personnel and all that stuff. So it's, uh, it's not trivial, but it's definitely one of the, um, I mean, we can touch upon that later, but one of the big advantages I th see for electrification, there's a lot of different, different uh, concepts being discussed like hydrogen, et cetera, but, but one of the big uh, benefits of electrification is that it's, uh, it's actually getting quite, you're piggybacking, you're getting a lot of syner synergies from what's happening in the automotive industry. Yeah.
but as I understand it, the main reason why we don't uh, see, you know, the 19 seater planes today is because there are either too few regional airports uh, operating them today. Yep. And you mentioned that the, you know, the issues related to that because of operating, um, you know, the fuel infrastructure maintenance or costs, of course, for these planes, for the traditional uh, planes. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it didn't make economic sense after the 90s, yep. mid 90s. But with an electric plane, that equation uh, equation changes fundamentally, and you you have touched upon it already. Yeah. But why is that? No, it's really about you know we were actually, uh, and it was it was interesting uh, when we were having these early discussions with 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 Mesa Airlines and United Airlines, and and understanding that um, that that you know the way we describe the problem, uh, you know, as being oh you know. Uh, the, the maintenance of the turboprops is part of the big problem why we don't have it. And they were like, no, it's not just part of the problem. It is the, it's the essence of the problem. And we were like, we were almost afraid to say that ourselves because we didn't want to sort of uh, present it to. So, so it was, um, uh, it, it is that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's technology. It doesn't make, I mean, if you think about it, like it doesn't make sense to have a, have the same technology flying a 19-seater uh, 400 kilometers as it is flying you know, 300 people to Australia. I mean, why why should that make economic sense? It's kind of a very much of a one-size-fits-all for, and, and a jet engine is, is kind of a very, um, it's not the most, uh, you know, compare an electric motor with, with a jet engine. Uh, an electric motor is something that is uh, very scalable. You, it's the same technology on our 19-seater aircraft as, as it is on a, small, you know, racing drone or, or, you know, in your toothbrush almost, right? Uh, but, but, uh, but, for, um, but for electric uh, jets, they come in different sizes, but they're generally just working on one operating point. Uh, the, the unit economics of building a jet engine is, the complexity of it doesn't really change that much depending on size. So it's expensive whether you put it on a 19-seater or a 70-seater, it's roughly the same price. So, uh, so it's one of those things, and I think we're constantly, when we're describing this, obviously we don't want to be describing a world, uh, you know, you don't have to be too futuristic to imagine this. And, and, uh, but it is, we have to be aware of, when we look at what aviation is today, that we are shaped by, by our experience of it. And, and uh, so we tend to look at a new technology and value the, and assess that on the merits of what the old technology does. And uh, that's why I sometimes we end up a lot in, in range discussions about, you know, you cannot fly very far, but, uh, but then uh, that's really not the point. So, um, no. yeah. Yeah. And uh, an electric airplane uh, has other advantages as well. And one of them, of course, is that they're being that they're much more silent. Yeah. Uh, than traditional airplanes. Mm. Uh, what do you think about that? What's the, you know, something that people perhaps don't, uh, you know, think about? Uh, operating this propeller uh, that I have behind me um, is like, it's, uh, it, it is vastly different at takeoff and at cruise. Uh, some people, you know, it's, we haven't made the sort of decibel uh, comparison yet, which is something that I'm dying to do, but it's, you know, at least 50% uh, quieter and it very, a jet engine really only has one gear. It only has one RPM that it's the operating point. And you can go above and beyond that. But how you generally control it is that you pitch the propeller blades angle. So when you're doing this in ta the taxi phase, when you're actually going from the tarmac 
to the runway, which can be, you know, 10 minutes uh, for a large airport, you're actually running the jet's uh, engine as kind of full steam, and then you're pitching the propeller blades so that they're creating so little thrust that you're not, you know, shooting away uh, across the, the taxiway, but actually, actually just, you know, loiter, uh, moving ahead uh, slowly. So what you're essentially doing is you, you're, you're, you're uh, instead of creating a, a thrust machine with your propeller, you're creating a noise machine because that energy needs to go somewhere. Where, whereas if you have an electric motor, you're at, you know, you have same torque at, you know, zero RPM as you have at 2000 RPM. So you can run these very slowly with the, with, with the sort of efficient blade pitch for that speed. And you can actually, like we, we looked at it, it's like two kilowatts uh, per, per, uh, per motor to taxi. And we've tried this with this thing and you stand next to it and it's like quiet, right? And that's 10 minutes uh, of people living close to airport having to listen to that for taxi. Now the, the, you know, the takeoff is more, you know, maybe, you know, 10 seconds or 30 seconds. So, uh, and uh, you know, the initial climb and all that. So, so it, it, you know, it makes a real big difference from the duration. And also, obviously, for the local pollution. So, uh, they, this is, you know, one of the reasons that people don't want to live close to airports is because of local pollution. So, so there's, there's, this is really exciting and 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 really uh, a big thing that that I think that people don't realize about it. So it's about for like 200 kilometer route, uh, it can be up to t to 10% uh, of the fuel that's being used in taxi. For, for, for a conventional uh, plane. So you're wasting 10% just, you know, traveling, of, you know, 500 meters on the ground. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's something you talk about often also that it's, uh, I think it's worth mentioning here, is that how you can revitalize regional aviation. Yeah. Uh, you, you talked about this earlier. You gave a presentation at the Chalmers University in Sweden, mm. where you showed a map with United Airlines, and you mentioned this only, already in this mm. talk, that in 1994, uh, there were, uh, you know, hundreds of 19-seater airplanes across America, mm. and there, this map yeah. was very illustrative. Um, and it opens many interesting possibilities to offer smaller communities, you know, making them into, uh, you know, hubs for electric planes. Yeah. Um, and reachable, obviously, by more people and opening even new business opportunities. Yeah. So do you agree that the 19-seater electric, uh, electric planes that you're developing could you know be uh, you know aiding and helping to revitalize regional aviation and traveling to smaller communities suburban areas for example yeah so I, I definitely think so and and this is the re really exciting part and and uh, so I mean this was sort of the unfulfilled promise of aviation now now when we think of aviation today we think about the thing that I you know most people maybe do once a year uh, to fly to some faraway destination for their holiday but it doesn't really have to be that way. I think people, you know, when aviation came, it seems like this is the most efficient way to to travel for any any distance, right? Um, so, uh, so, and that was before the sort of deregulation of the airlines that happened in the 80s and 90s. You know, small planes operating these, uh, when it was more in the sort of common good, uh, uh, it was, you know, many state-owned airlines. There was a lot, much more regional routes in many areas of the world, including Sweden and the United States. So, uh, so it, it, it is 
but the thing about this is, you know, when I'm when I'm talking about, you know, having to revitalize this and 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 wanting to create this, it sounds maybe like I'm speculating in, in, into a future uh, that we don't know about. But in fact, if we just go across the border here in Sweden to Norway, they never stop doing this. So Norway is a is an, uh, a country, a small country, a lot of fjords, a lot of uh, mountains, a small population, but it's sort of in their constitution that everybody should be able to go to Oslo over the day to represent themselves uh, to the authorities. Uh, so, so they have a different, uh, so, so they're subsidizing a regional route network of small planes uh, doing these short hops and created a very dynamic uh, uh, transportation system around that. Now that works only because the Norwegian government is subsidizing it. Uh, and, uh, and obviously they also want that this to go electric, which is important for us. But if we can get the unit economics to, to you know, stand on its own two legs for the rest of the world, I think uh, you know, uh, the situation that we have in Norway today, which is hopefully what we'll see all over the world uh, within the next decade. Yeah. And talking about timelines and your plane uh, at Hort Aerospace, you have set a really ambitious goal to have the Hort Aerospace uh, 19 plane, plane, Hort ES-19 plane, mm built and certified by 2026 yeah. and that's not far away actually uh, no. uh, what I yeah and uh, I just want to mention that I, I think this I really like your reasoning behind uh, this company and what you're doing because you, you stated also in the previously in the presentation that the importance for a company and that goes for all startups you know to have amb ambitious goals with the risk of failing mm. or missing the deadline, mm. but also the importance of working towards short-term milestones yeah. before you reach this sort of end goal. Yeah, um, yeah and I guess you, you, the thinking behind this is that, um, you know, to keep, to push for innovation forward and to keep your team focused and streamline the, the development process and so on, you, you have to set up goals and you have to be ambitious. So I, I, I just think that it's a great thing and it, it may seem obvious for, you know, when you hear, think about, yeah, of course you have to set up short-term goals, but a lot of companies, yeah. they don't have this approach. And yeah. so uh, this, yeah. So could you share some of the thinking behind this? And I mean, this is something that I, I thought a lot about. Well, first of all, like when you set a goal for yourself, there's Parkinson's law is, uh, and I mean, this is, uh, is sort of the, the amount of time you have is the amount of time it's going to take, right? Uh, this is sort of the, the reasoning behind Kennedy saying that they'll have man on the moon by the end of this decade, that turned out to be true, right? We tend as human beings to uh, adapt uh, to, to those uh, requirements. And it's sort of, for us, the 2026 thing informs every design decision that we make, right? We're building an aluminum airframe. We're not building a composite airframe because we know that that's going to take more time. You know, uh, we're building our supply chain relationships so that people can support us, that we don't have to you know, build up all of that infrastructure ourselves or, or that capabilities in-house. Uh, the reason that we're building 19 passengers is because we get into a certification bracket, which generally has like a, uh, a five-year or a less than a five-year time frame to certification. So it, it informs me, but, but more <coughs> as more of a, uh, uh, from a phil philosophical point of view, I think that uh, we have been in a place so, so if you look at, say, you know, uh, since the Wright brothers, I think it's 1903, uh, for the last 120 years, if you were to divide that in, into two 60-year categories, like uh, one that's going to the 19, 1960 roughly, and one from 1960 to now, uh, uh, the first period was a period of intense 
uh, you know, uh, it was not a very stable environment. It was a lot of things happening, world wars, uh, new technologies, transitions of a lot of things. And, and aviation was working towards that and making a lot of progress. You know, you had everything from, you know, it went pretty fast from, from you know, uh, the Wright brothers to the first sort of commercial airplanes flying in the 1930s uh, and then or actually much earlier than that as well, but, but but sort of getting that established to the invention of the jet engine to a plane. If you look like an, an aircraft, you know, the old, old, old Boeing aircraft of the 1950s to the Entrez-Dine, they look exactly similar to the ones that are rolling out today. Obviously, there's been a tremendous improvement in those last 60 years. Uh, you, uh, you, by, you know, you've uh, decreased fuel consumption tremendously, like by, I don't know, a factor three or, or more. Uh, you've... Uh, You've, you know, created much better unit economics of flying. Uh, you, you've built out the, uh, the route network significantly. So we should say that for the last 60 years, nothing has happened. But the thing that has happened has been this uh, continuous incremental approach uh, of optimizing the subsystem components of the aircraft, uh, which can be done without seeing the full picture. You can build a better jet engine w whilst not knowing so much about you know, the rest of the plane. And you could have a long lead times of saying, I'm going to do this and it's going to be ready in a decade or two decades. Um, and uh, this is not, uh, this is how we are all trained as aerospace engineers. This is the world we're in. Uh, this is uh, uh, how, you know, we, this is the goggles that we're wearing. But, but I think that the next 30 years are going to be dramatically different. I think that it's, uh, we're seeing, you know, if you do like a pestle analysis or stuff like that, you know, look at the political, economical, social, environmental, technical things that are happening. There's so many things that are changing so rapidly. So I think a five-year plan about how the world is going to look like in 2026, that's almost like the maximum of what you can plan for. Because we don't even know, uh, if I were to build an aircraft for 2035 or something like that, that would be 15 years ahead. It would be in a technology world. It would be in a world, quite frankly, where, where, where the public perception of aviation, the legislation, all that becomes very, very difficult. So I think there's such an inherent value in keeping, you know, these five-year plans. <laughs> I mean, it's from a, uh, yeah. I could just mention an anecdote that I just came to think about. I mean, uh, when people think about the, the rate of change now, it's exponential. And for people to understand that, you can just mention, you know, the EV market. Uh, if, if, yeah, some of the EV, uh, big automakers that are talking about, yeah, in, in 2030, we're going to be, you know, only making, uh, you know, fully electric EVs. But for in my eyes, as you, as you said, if you look five years ahead, so many things are happening. So if you, you have a plan in 10 years to, to be in the auto industry, to, to have, be fully electric. I think it's game over for many of these uh, automakers if they haven't reached that goal much earlier. So I, it's, there's other aspects of this. And I also think that you said five years, so many things will happen. So you have to, to you know, think about five years ahead because things are happening so, so fast. Yeah, uh, and it's also sort of, <coughs> you know, the whole kind of machine that builds the machine thing of, of, of you know, one of the, one of the outputs of this five-year sprint that we're doing is an aircraft. Uh, another output of what we're doing is an aerospace company. And if that's an, if there's an aerospace company that comes out of, out of this five years that can build and certify a zero emission aircraft, then that puts us in a very good position uh, for the next 25 years after that up, to, up until 2050. 
Yeah, not not stopping. I think is really important, and just just keep moving, uh, keep pushing to the next next things, and uh, so so it, it is really informs all of what we're doing. So if we talk about your in terms of your five year plan, you have a goal now to have the plane certified and commercially ready by twenty twenty six. So can you say anything about where you are? You know, in the, in terms of the next steps or the next milestones achieving this goal? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So we started in 2020, uh, 2019, really, and by twenty twenty we had. The first big major demonstrator, which was the electric propulsion system, which is the size of a small uh, jet engine, which is this is like a big de-risk, uh, sort of intuitive de-risk, and it's it's not that we're ready for commercial service yet, but we have identified sort of exactly what we wanted to do. Um, the next, <coughs> sorry, the next biggest challenge about building an electric aircraft. Uh, you know, look at our aircraft. It looks very similar to aircraft that have been flowing for the last 80 years or so. So it's not actually getting the aircraft up in the air. It, instead, it's proving that all of that, you know, an aircraft is a very complex machine. It's one of the most complex machines that we have. And there's a bunch of uh, subsystem on the aircraft, the avionics systems, the flight control systems, the environmental control system, cabin pressurization systems, and, and, and de-icing systems, which is really a big deal, uh, making sure that you don't have ice build up on, on the wings, uh, to show that these can work when you only have batteries uh, as power uh, or as energy, uh, and, and showing that that can work in every corner case, in every weather condition, and that you can meet the certification requirement. Now, aviation is the safest safest uh, form of travel for a reason because it's, it's, it's so heavy certification re requirements. So the next thing we're building is this uh, big demonstrator to, to, to demonstrate all of these subsystems. And we're also going then, so we're acting a little bit like a system integrator. We're essentially building a Lego kit from a bunch of different technologies that's being developed by our supply chain. So the, the big thing becomes being that system integrator and growing those relationships with uh, the right suppliers and and uh, and this is not just how a startup does it this is how you know the big OEMs do it as well uh, you find suppliers for airframe avionics flight controls and every subsystem and then we just need to find the right suppliers make sure that the architecture is sound make sure that we know where everything goes where everything fits making sure that we thought about all the certification requirements so that you know, fr from the top level down into component levels, so that we're asking the right questions to the suppliers, and putting all of that together, and we hope to to have achieved that and have a demonstrator of that next year. Uh, so, in fact, I'm 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 looking at at the at the early parts of the demonstrator here in front of me, but I I'm uh, I will not show it yet. Uh, but uh, but. Um, uh, it's pretty exciting, uh, but once we have that, we can say, okay, uh, we're ready. We go through the sort of preliminary design review and then the critical design review, and we can start asking our suppliers to start manufacturing these things, build the tooling, and only like in 2024, uh, that's when we'll be ready with that. And then we, we can get all this stuff together, get it to, to our facility, and uh, start doing flight testing of this aircraft. And that will then the flight test aircraft will be done with the same sort of production tooling as the as the early production uh, aircraft. Uh, so, so it's actually very, very close to being uh, production ready aircraft, but you need still to do about two years of flight testing uh, and test in every weather condition. Sort of, uh, it's like you have three flight test vehicles and then you're increasingly adding more 
on the first flight experience, it's kind of a bare bones uh, plane, and then you're feed, building more stuff uh, into it and, and testing all of these stuff. And so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's an intense process, uh, but it's one that is following um, uh, a, a recipe that has been uh, done by many, many companies before us. Uh, it is something that is you know, very regulated how you do this. So actually, when you start investing, you agree on a certification basis early on uh, with, with the authorities, so you know what you will have to prove and what you will have to do. Um, and uh, and yeah, and so it's just about building the right team and the right supply chain. Yeah, and uh, finally, I mean, as a testament to your inter the interest of, uh, of planes for regional aviation right now, aside from the US orders, uh, there are also smaller markets like Norway and New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, and they have uh, earlier this summer Sounds Air um, in New Zealand, an aviation uh, air co um, company in in um, in New Zealand, ordered three ES-19 planes, uh, for example, already. So, um, I mean, why do you think there's such a big interest for the Hart ES-19 plane right now? We're catering to a demand that 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 understand uh, that people, the operators understand that they are familiar with. Uh, they are, I think, they're appreciating our our. Uh, uh, our, our sort of approach to innovation, uh, where we're sort of uh, not trying to reinvent the wheel, but rather focusing. I mean, the airlines are ultimately those that are responsible for their passengers' safety. And, you know, they're also, you know, I, I think uh, they care mostly about the safety uh, and reliability of these airplanes, but also about uh, the unit economics of operating them. And, and they see, see in us a project that is taking those questions uh, front and center. Yeah. And uh, finally, since the evolution show is all about, you know, inspiring positive change for a sustainable planet and Hort Aerospace clearly works towards, towards this goal. It's very exciting to hear what you're doing. And uh, I'm, I mean, I think uh, I'm inspired and I hope others are as well. I mean, if you're interested to just, you know, work at uh, Hort Aerospace or learn more about you or I know that you're hiring. So what kind of people are you looking for right now? Uh, we're actually building a quite di diverse team. Uh, we, uh, but but I think a common denominator is that we are hiring a lot of people that have worked in the aerospace industry early on, uh, because we we want, we need that experience. Uh, but we are about uh, you know approaching seventy people. Uh, we're sixteen different nationalities. We're we're uh, actually I'm, uh, uh, I think seventeen or eighteen of us are Brazilian. So we're more 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 of a Brazilian team than we are. Uh, a Swedish team, actually. Uh, we have a lot of people from the UK, and as I said, 16 different continents, uh, and um, or 16 different <laughs> 16 different countries, I would say. Uh, but uh, so, so yeah, and so it's kind of a mix. You need you need people that have that experience, but also maybe diverse experience of working in a few different companies, uh, companies in a few different uh, countries, uh, so that they have that. Uh, experience uh, coming to a startup, and re, you know every every aerospace company is different. And uh, when you're when you're coming to to a startup, uh, you also have the responsibility to create the culture and the processes there. And people that have been on a few of these journeys are, are tremendously useful. So, for instance, our CTO, uh, he's worked on aerospace pro programs in both the UK, uh, Sweden, and also the United States. So he has this, uh, you know, very good frame of reference for, for exactly what it is uh, that we need to set up in a company to make it work. So, uh, but, but, but besides that, I would say um, as a final plug, you know, uh, 
Chalmers University here, my, my, my alma mater here, here in, in, uh, in Gothenburg, j just opened their master's program in, uh, w with the new mobility focus, and they have an aerospace, uh, uh, what do you say, uh, uh, there's an aerospace program there. So we'll work a lot with that as well. We're bringing talent from all over the world, experience from all over the world, but we also want to bring in a new generation, and that's going to be sort of our next wave of people coming in here and uh, get, getting them to to, uh, to to be build something new from the ground up, and uh, so yeah, we're really excited about you know bringing more young people in. It's sort of different from an aerospace company because you, uh, it's not you cannot just hack this like 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 you you, you cannot just uh, sort of comp. You need the initial experience in doing it. Uh, it's maybe similar from from a tech startup, a dissimilar from a tech startup, but. But once you get that going, you can employ some of that same dynamics and getting young people in that, that are want, want to you know work hard and gain experience fast. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Anders, for sharing uh, you know an update and what you're doing. Uh, in the next episode, we'll talk a little bit more about the plane specifically. So for everyone interested in that, um, you know, stick around. You, you, I really encourage people to check that out. But thank you, Anders. Really interesting. Uh, I hope to see you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Tell us what you think in the comment section below. And if you like the content and you want to support the show, we really appreciate a thumbs up and consider subscribing. And you definitely want to stick around for next week's episode for another inspiring talk with the CEO and founder of Hark Aerospace, Anders Forslund, to learn more about the 19-seater airplane the company is developing here in Sweden. As always, stay ahead of the curve and stay electric.